Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I'm glad to be with you here this morning. And I'll ask that you would turn your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, whether in in print or uh, electronically, if you turn to the book of Acts, the second chapter. Acts, the second chapter. And we're going to read one verse, Acts, the second chapter, verse 42. And as you turn there, I want to thank Dean. And I know he's not uh, here today. He's getting some some much needed time off, but I want to thank him for inviting me to come share it with you. It is so good to see some of you all who, are, who I know and some, you know, I see uh, back from the last time I was here. Um, Anna and Eden would have loved to be here uh, with me today to, to join in this time of worship with Family Church. However, uh, Anna is teaching a kids class at our, our, our church in uh, Covington. And so she couldn't be here uh, for that, but uh, she sends her regards, and, and of course, Eden says hi. And so uh, we want to, I wanted to share that with you. Are you there in Acts, the second chapter? Acts, the second chapter, and I want to read into your hearing verse 42. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. You may have a different version, but you will find these similar words. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I want to read it again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather with other believers to worship your name and to learn more about you. God, we pray that this time would be honoring to you and would be edifying to us. God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds that we may receive what you are saying to us as we read what you have already said in your word. God, we pray that I, as the preacher, would decrease and that the Lord Jesus would increase. God, we pray that you would give us understanding according to your word, for your word is true. And we pray that you would sanctify us by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This morning, while I have your attention, just for a little bit, and I'll try not to go too long, but I am a preacher, so please don't hold me to that. But I want to talk to you on the subject, a devoted church. A devoted church. This morning's text is set at the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and gives birth to the church. And we know that when the Holy Spirit arrived, the Holy Spirit was accompanied by 
miraculous things that happened. There was, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There was the sight of tongues of fire that was laid upon the 120 believers. And there were, they spoke in other tongues. We know that there was a lot of things that were going on. And then we notice, as we read the second chapter, that Peter preaches the first recorded sermon in Christian history, in church history. And after that sermon, the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully that people asked, what must we do? And Peter tells them, you need to repent, or in other words, you need to turn from your sin. You need to change your way of living and follow Christ. You need to repent and be baptized. Baptism is the sign that says that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The Bible says that their hearts were pierced and they repented and they believed and they were baptized and about 3,000 souls were added to the church. And then the writer here, who is Luke, that Greek physician who was a companion of Paul, a co-laborer with Paul, he writes the book of Acts, this history of the church, and he describes this group of believers. And he describes it in verse 42. He says that these people, these believers, these 3,000 believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The apostles' teaching. Who or what are apostles? And what did they teach? Well, the apostles were the hand-picked people of Jesus. Jesus hand-picked them to start and lead this Christian movement. They were hand-picked. They, they were not somebody that people picked. They were hand-picked by Jesus himself. And what were the qualifications? They had to be witnesses of the resurrection. They had to be commissioned by the resurrected Christ to lead the church. They were the foundation upon which the church was built, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. That's what Ephesians, the second chapter, the 19th through the 21st verse, tells us that, the, that God was building up the household, his household of faith, the household of God, with the apostles and prophets as a foundation. Now, I say all that to say this. If you like me and, and, and you get maybe a lot of flyers, religious flyers that come to your house or you might see on TV, and there are people that claim to be apostles. We know that apostles have to have been commissioned by the resurrected Christ. We, find this, we can find this out in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, in the first verse, when Paul asks a question, he says, have I not seen the Lord Jesus? And Paul was saying, because I have seen the Lord Jesus, he was defending his, his apostolic ministry, because I have seen the Lord Jesus, I am a legitimate apostle. 
And we know that Paul had seen the, the resurrected Jesus when Paul was going to, uh, on his way to Damascus to, to persecute the church and Jesus showed up and says, why are you persecuting me? And the foundation of the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. But notice what I said. The foundation of the church is built on the apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. Being built means that's something that was already done. It's in the past. God is not building the foundation of the church anymore. He's still building his household. He's still building the church, but not the foundation because the foundation has already been laid, been laid down. Now, these are the apostles, but what did they teach? Paul says this a lot. We, we preach Christ and him crucified. The apostles taught about Jesus. They taught what Jesus told them to teach. Remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28? Uh, that, that's, the, that's the largest, most extensive Great Commission passage we have. There's actually five Great Commission passages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts all have a Great Commission passage. But the book of Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 18 to 20, had the most extensive Great Commission passage. And Jesus said that you ought to go out into all the world, right? He says, go out into all the world and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. The apostles were teaching the people to observe, to obey, to listen to everything that Jesus commanded. And that's what the apostles were teaching. See, the early church treasured the word of God. They treasured the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They treasured the teachings of Jesus Christ. And that's what the apostles taught. Now, what about us today in church? I find it sad that we have some Christians who have not even cracked open their Bible since the last time they were in church here at 10 a.m. last Sunday. There are Christians who hadn't cracked open their Bible since last worship service or since last month, and they're not learning the Scriptures because that's how we are, that's how we receive the apostles' teaching today. You want to you wanna be like the early church and you want to follow the apostles' teaching, here's the apostles' teaching, written down and preserved for us today. The early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and so should we. When I was in basic training, some of you know that, that I am a soldier, a soldier for life. I'll be retiring December 3rd from the Army Reserve uh, after almost 22 years of service. But when I was in basic training, we had something we called a, a soldier's handbook. And you better not go anywhere without that soldier's handbook. Uh, the, the drill sergeant would come and do an inspection and say, Johnson, 
where's your soldier's handbook? And I better be able to go into my cargo pocket and show it to the drill sergeant. And we had to constantly be in that soldier's handbook. We had to constantly be reading that soldier's handbook because that's how we learned how to be a soldier. It had important information that we needed to know in order to be a soldier. So when we were in line for, for, the, for the child hall or, or the, you know, to get, get our child, that's military language for when we're in line to get food at the cafeteria. That's what I mean by that. So when we're in line, we couldn't be looking around. We had to look straight unless our head was in that soldier's manual. And the drill sergeant would come and ask us a question about something in that soldier's manual. And, and we better had knew, known what was being said in that soldier's manual. Because that was important information that we needed to know to be a good soldier. You know, we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. And as soldiers in the army of the Lord, we have a soldier's manual. It's the 66 books of the Holy Bible. And we ought to be in it to learn everything we need to know to be a good soldier on the battlefield for the Lord. But some of us, we're not, we're not in it. We're not learning. We, we, we won't come to church or Bible study to learn what God says. And then we wonder why we are soldiers that are derelict in duty. We are soldiers who don't know what it means to be a soldier because we're not in our manual. The early church, they were they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they wanted to know about the gospel and the word of God. They treasured the word of God. But they were also devoted to fellowship. Fellowship. What, what, what is fellowship? Is that just hanging around and hanging out with friends and just chilling, as we'd say? The, the word that we translate a lot of time as fellowship is a word, Greek word called koinonia. It, it, it's deeper than hanging out. It is, it is, it's deeper than just chilling with your friends and it's deeper than that. It, it's actually community. Now, we have lost a sense of community in, in, in our society today. Uh, a, a sense of Community. community is unity around a common bond. bond. It's common unity. It's a compound kind of word. Common unity, right? It's unity around a common bond. And we just kind of lost that sense. I remember growing up, my mom might be making some food. She might be baking a cake or doing something. She says, Larry, go next door to Miss So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so and ask for a cup of sugar. That, that's community, right? Um, I remember, you know, I might be at the playground and might be doing something that I'm not supposed to do, and a, a neighbor would see me and would say, Larry, you stopped that. And you know what I needed to do? I need to stop it because I know if I didn't, that neighbor would grab a hold of me. And then when I get home, my mom would grab a hold of me. And then when dad gets home, daddy get a hold of me. That's community, right? C c community is shared experiences, right? That, that, that means when somebody has something good going on in their life, they, they're celebrating and joy 
together. But when somebody is grieving and mourning, the community grieves and mourns and walks with that person through that. Doesn't that sound like something like the Bible tells us to do? Rejoice with one another, right? And, and, and share one another's burdens. There are a lot of one another passages in, in the New Testament. And it boggles my mind that there are some people that feel like they can be a, a, a Christian all by themselves, a good Christian by themselves. Our Christian journeys are personal, but they're not private. Let me say that again. Our Christian journeys, they're personal, but they're not private. God did not call us to live our Christian life privately. He called us to live the Christian life in community. We ought to do that together. How can we love one another if we're not in fellowship with one another? How can we share one another's burdens if we're not sharing together? How can we rejoice when another person rejoices if we're not sharing together? There was a survey uh, done uh, recently that says the, the, the a regular church attender, the definition of a regular church attender has changed. It used to be that a regular church attender would go to service, go to church service twice a month. Now that's once a month. We have lost our sense of fellowship. We have lost our sense of community. We have lost our sense of walking in life hand in hand together as a body of Christ. When God saves us by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't save us and put us to the side. He saves us and puts us in a body, the body of Christ. I don't know if any of you uh, do any grilling. I mean, summer is over. And so, you know, in, in Louisiana, southeast Louisiana, we have extended summers. But even our extended summer is largely over, right? We're getting cooler temperatures. But if you ever do grilling and you grill with, with charcoal, once you get that charcoal, you know, hot and it's burning, right? What would happen if you take some tongs and you go and get one piece of charcoal out of that burning grill? And you take it, that piece of charcoal, and you put it over here by itself. What would happen to that piece of charcoal? It's going to cool off. And we wonder why some Christians, you wonder why I haven't gone to church lately. I haven't gathered with the body lately. And then you feel like, you know, I'm not as strong as I was in the faith. Because you removed yourself from where the fire was. That's why Hebrews, the 10th chapter and the 25th verse tells us that we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. But as we see the day approaching, we ought to encourage one another. Because fellowship is important and it's not just hanging out, but it's walking and doing life together as a body in Christ, as a body of Christ. So the early church, they they. They were devoted to fellowship. The body of Christ was important to them. And they wanted to be together, to share with each other. 
as fellowship. That was a characteristic of them. But also, they, they, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. What is the breaking of bread? The breaking of bread. Did they just have a potluck? You know, we're in Louisiana. We like to eat, right? Did they just have a potluck? No, they just didn't just have a potluck. In the early church, the Eucharist, the communion, the, the Lord's Supper was participated in or taken as a part of a larger meal. It used to be called the, the agape feast or the uh, agape feast or the or love meal, a love supper. And, and they would take communion in the context of that meal. Right. And at that meal, it didn't matter what your social status was. You could have been rich or poor. You could have been Jew or Gentile. You could have been at the top of the political ladder or at the bottom. But when you came together for the love feast, for the agape feast, everybody was equal. The everybody's equality in Christ was demonstrated. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians, you know, 11th chapter, he was getting on to the church at Corinth for how they were handling the meal. Because some people who were wealthy were coming in and eating all the meal. And people who didn't have anything, they didn't get to share in that meal. And in the context of that meal, they took and observed the Lord's Supper. Most scholars believe that when they say the breaking of, of bread, they're talking about the Lord's Supper in particular. And you remember in the Lord's Supper when, when uh, Jesus, he, he took bread and after he had blessed it, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples, said, take and eat. The Lord's Supper was central to the identity of the church. And this is important because the Lord's Supper was there to remind us of what Christ has done for us. It bothers me when I go to churches and they take that meal very lightly. Have you ever gone to a church and they take the Lord's Supper lightly? It bothers me. Why? Because that's supposed to be a sacred time where the church comes into the presence of the Lord to remember the sacrifice of the Lord with the people of God. In the early church, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to sharing the Lord's Supper together because they proclaimed to the world a few things. It proclaimed to the world that I am a believer in Christ. My allegiance is to Christ. It proclaimed to the world that Christ died for my sins. And it proclaimed to the world, I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And that's why that meal is so important. So the early church, they took that meal seriously. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the body of Christ. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper, to that communion meal together. But we also see that they were devoted to prayers. 
They were devoted to prayers. Most scholars say this is, this is formal prayer and informal prayer. By formal prayer, what I mean by that is there were specific times of the day that the church would gather for prayer, basically have a prayer meeting. But then there were other times where the church members would pray themselves individually. The prayer meeting is probably the least attended meeting of the church. And we wonder why we don't have as much power as the early church is because we don't pray as much as the early church. And we know that the early church participated in prayer meetings because in Acts, the third chapter, we see that Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They went to pray together. And the early church thought that being in the presence of God and talking to God and sharing with God was important to their spiritual life. And here we see that the church was committed to prayer. I heard one preacher say that whatever we don't pray about, we're telling God that we got it. And I'm getting older. I'm 40 years old. I'll be 41 in February. I'm getting older. Um, and the more I live, the more I realize that I don't got it. The more I live, the more I realize that things, more things than not, are out of my control. And so I need to be in prayer because I need God to move on my behalf and I need God to do things because God is infinitely wise and all knowing and all powerful. And I am not by any stretch of the means. I mean, I, I think I'm intelligent, but I'm really not. And no matter how intelligent you think you are, you're really not. And I'm not saying that anybody is, don't have intelligence. What I'm saying is that we're not nearly as smart as we think we are. But God, who is infinitely wise, isn't that what Paul says in Romans, the 11th chapter, the 33rd through the 36th verse? He says, who can search the depths of God's knowledge and wisdom? It's a rhetorical question. No one. Because no one has the, the, the wisdom of God. And so the church was committed and devoted to bowing their knee in prayer because they knew they need, needed God. But do we realize that? Do we realize that we need God? And I, I think one of the reasons why the church felt like they needed God so much is because they really didn't have anything. And I think the more we get comfortable, the more we fail to realize how much we need God. So l l let, me, let, me, let me help us, let me, let me help us realize how much we need God. Jesus said, when you pray, right? Notice, he said when, not if. That means he expects us to pray. He, said, he says, when you pray, he said, you know, don't pray like the, the, like the people in the streets going to your closet, right? And the disciples asked Jesus, like, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, give us this day our daily bread. Not, not our weekly grocery list. Our daily bread. Because back then, People got paid. You do a day's work. You get paid for that day. And then you go and get 
food, right? They didn't have ways to like preserve food and refrigerators and stuff like that like we have now. They didn't have preservatives in, in cans to keep food for a long time. They didn't have that. So he said, pray for our daily bread. Here's another way to, to realize how much you need God, how much I need God. Everybody take an inhale. Take an exhale. You need God that much. Because every inhale and every exhale is a blessing of God and is given by the permission of God. And more than you need oxygen, more than I need oxygen, I need God. Because remember, it was God who breathed into man and man became a living soul. And the church felt that it needed God so much that it was committed to prayer. I've talked a long time. I think I've talked a long time. But let me tell you this. Let me wrap this up by saying this. The early church was devoted. That was a devoted church. They were devoted to the word of God, the apostles teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the body of Christ. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, that, that Lord's Supper meal. They were devoted to prayer. Notice half of those things you got to do in a group. Today, the, the focus is on, on the gathering, right? Notice many of those things you just can't do by yourself, right? You, you can't have fellowship by yourself. And people try. But you can't have fellowship by yourself. Fellowship means you got to have somebody else. You, you, you can't break bread by yourself. And I know what you're saying. Well, I, can, I, can eat, I can eat food by myself. No, no, no. When the Bible talks about breaking bread, it's in community. When the Bible talks about the apostles teaching, notice there's somebody teaching and somebody receiving. Community. When the Bible talks about the prayers, they were praying together. It was community. Matter of fact, that's how the Holy Spirit came. The context of the Holy Spirit coming down to, the, to earth. They were gathered together in one room, in the upper room, in prayer. And they were devoted. And I want you to be a devoted church. But I think the reason why we don't have devoted churches is because we don't have devoted Christians. And so we need to have devoted Christians because when you have devoted Christians who join together, it becomes a devoted church. And I wonder what made them so devoted. I think they were so devoted because they saw that modeled in Christ who was himself devoted. You say, how do I see that devoted in Christ? In Philippians, the second chapter, Paul is talking about how Jesus was so humble. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider it something to be grasped or did not consider it something to, to be taken advantage of. But he humbled himself, taking upon the form of a servant, becoming human, even to the point of death, death on a cross. That is devotion because Christ did not have to die for us. No, he didn't. Christ is God the Son, infinitely wise, infinitely glorious, inexpressibly glorious in all aspects of, of his character and his being. He did not have to die for us, but yet he loved us so much. He came through 42 generations, the Bible says, was born 
by the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. He ministered in Galilee and Judea, and he went to Calvary because he loved us so much that he would die for us. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That is devotion. And I believe the early church was so moved by the devotion of Christ that they felt that their proper response, that their proper uh, act of worship would be to show devotion back to him by learning of his word, being committed to the bride of Christ, the church, remembering Christ's sacrifice in the communion meal, and always being in dialogue to God and with God in prayer. So my encouragement to you, think of Jesus's devotion to you and respond in devotion to him. Please join me in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you. We thank you that we see a church who was devoted to Christ and his body. And Lord, we pray that you would help us show that same devotion as well. Not because we are so good and not because we need something else to do. No, Lord, because we want to show our appreciation for your devotion to us. So God, I pray for anyone in here under the sound of my voice who is struggling with this devotion. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help them be more devoted to you and your people. And God, if there's someone in here who is not saved, who has not given their heart to you, God, I pray that you would help them, move them, convict them of their need for you. God, thank you so much for this time together. And we pray that your word would be hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.